Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, we've got the gang back together. Lonnie St. Louis Kiss. Actually, we're not on the Kiss board, so I don't have to say your nickname. Lonnie. Hello. <laughs> Mark. And and Ken. Um, what news? Uh, I'm just going to give you some quick news. Since this isn't the Kiss podcast, I get to pimp this. July the 28th, I'm going to Boston to fin- and New Hampshire to finish up work on it in the next week. I've just finished two weeks of straight editing daily, hardcore. Someone saying to me, you don't need that. You're not saying that clearly. You've already said that. Get rid of that. Get rid of this. And it's really tightened up the narrative sections a lot. Absolute value um, to have someone who actually knows what they're doing telling me when I don't know what I'm doing, which is, uh, you know, what it's all about to make it better for anyone who is interested in that. So uh, getting there, nearly there. Oh, God, nearly there. All right. So um, today, where are we? We are up the irons. We are going to be talking about the first Iron Maiden album on this show, which is... Everyone got your copies? There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere in time. Come on, Ken, get with the program. See? I oh, it. fancy pants. 180 gram. You. I bet it's 180 gram vinyl, right? Yeah. yeah. Of course. Uh, but, you know, but you know what? I, I have a fancier one. You know what, what one I have? Which one? What's that? Blue vinyl? This here... No, this one here. If you look at the, look at the uh, label the here, the top. No, this is a pressing from Russia. Now, why is this so uh, special? Tell us. Because this pressing was done using the original UK stampers. Because EMI sent them the original stampers to the company in Russia. This is, this is a license. This is not a this is not a bootleg. This is an officially licensed record and so they got the stampers from so essentially instead of paying like 80 dollars to buy a uk first pressing you can pay like what i paid like 25 bucks for this and get a uk first pressing it's the same thing it's exactly the same pressing like and the serial numbers the same the matrix is the same it's the exact same thing except it was just pressed in russia and i listened to it yeah but you know the the wax they used was radioactive from chernobyl though (laughs) Yeah, well, if if that's the case, then they should use it more often. <laughs> Is they, it glow should, in the dark? No, but they should do, you should use it more often because this this sounds better than any of the other pressings of this record that I've had. So right. maybe they should start using radioactive uh, <laughs> there material you go. for it. Right, right. So yeah, so I got this one, that's and cool. just just to show the nerdness of my collecting, I also have my late '90s CD reissue ah, and my nice. and my early. Remaster, a remaster reissue of that just came out just recently. So you don't like Iron Maiden? Nah, they're 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 all right, I guess. Well, everyone knows the history of Iron Maiden, so mm-hmm. somewhere in time was the band's sixth studio album. It was released in September 1986. Um, like some other albums that came out around the same time, I'm thinking notably Judas Priest and Turbo. They did a shift to the synthy. Um, you know, changing from pure guitar sonics into trying to become a little bit more. Um, I, I don't want to say mainstream, 
but maybe accessible. Mm -hmm. But on this album, we see Iron Maiden really embracing their progressive tendencies and going all in with that style. I consider this a concept album. Um, But I also Mm -hmm. want to preface this whole episode with a disclaimer. This is my favorite Iron Maiden album. It is my go-to Iron Maiden album. It always has been since the day it was released. So, Mark, this was your pick. You decided that we were going to talk about this one, and I'm glad that you did, but tell us why. Well, um, Iron Maiden has always been a huge influence on me, guitar playing-wise, songwriting-wise, just their album artwork has always been something that I found extremely fascinating, even as a young kid. Um, and like you, this album had a huge impact on me. Um, my It wasn't my first introduction to Iron Maiden. I'll get to that later when we get to that point. But it was really the first album that I remember buying with my own you know, pocket money, like for you know doing chores and stuff like that when I was younger. Uh, and it's... It was one of those moments where I put it on and was just captivated by what I heard. I mean, I was still a little, I guess, young to understand that they had a really heavier, sort of punkier edge at the beginning of their career, because this was really, this was probably one of the one of the first records I got from them. It wasn't the first, but it was one of the first ones. So I didn't go in with that sort of framework where I was like, oh man, it's not as cool as Number of the Beast and, you know, how uh, some other people kind of approach it. So I really love this album. I don't think there's a bad song on this album. I guess we'll get to that later. But uh, for me, it was a no-brainer to pick this one. Nice, Lonnie. What about you? You know, when did first you first learn? First, first Iron Maiden album you bought with your own money, or first album period you bought with your own money, Mark? No, the first Iron Maiden. First Iron Maiden. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. Um, for me, I had a later introduction to Maiden. Um. I was always aware of Iron Maiden, you know, but it's not exactly radio friendly. So I I never really bought an Iron Maiden album. I I knew of them. I knew of, you know, of the hits and that. And it wasn't until 2004 I read Chuck Klosterman's Fargo Rock City. And that turned me on to a wide variety of unexplored metal bands I had never gotten into. I read that and I was like, no, I need a, I, you know, why, why don't I have an Iron Maiden CD? That, that's a, you know, from my, from my taste in music from that genre, it's really kind of silly that I don't. So I went and bought just, just a greatest hits just so, you know, and, and that's what you do. You go and buy a greatest hits just to introduce yourself to the band. Well, do I like it? Is, is it worth me? exploring further and it was you know and and this was the goat and and this album was actually the go-to after that and i i love the album it's 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 um fantastic from start to finish and you know we'll get into it that it was it was difficult to pick favorites and it's difficult to pick least favorites and i i think that's what really describes a great album when it's hard to pick your favorites you know, hard to pick out a couple that you like above the rest, and it's hard to pick out a couple that you don't like. So, you know, it's like, you know, um, you know, you can name a couple albums, you know, like like Appetite or something like that. I just love everything from start to finish. It's up there with that. 
Nice. Well, Ken, I'm almost embarrassed to ask you when you first learned about Iron Maiden and were you were you aware of the band and the release of this album in 1986? Um, I think I was aware of it, of, of course, but um, I think uh, I think the very first Iron Maiden album came out, but I didn't didn't do anything with that. But I did get before this one, at least uh, I did get. Uh, uh, peace of mind and uh, you know number of the beast and I had power slave which is the album before this one um, so I did have those few I really enjoyed all those um, but about this time uh, my first son was almost going to be born soon <laughs> so uh, I started my priorities were changing as far as music I was kind of wasn't doing as much buying of music as I was before um, and things like that but I was still I still knew what was going on I remember when these songs came some of the songs came out um, that sort of thing but I don't think I bought I'm pretty sure I didn't buy this album this is one I I, I kind of stopped that power slave and then I, I just completely stopped pretty much until later later years of course um, but I knew them. I knew they were, you know, a very good band, great band. I enjoyed it. Really loved Power Slave. Um, that might be my favorite one by then. But uh, yeah, this one turned out to be actually a pleasant surprise. So, and you talked about the other bands like like Judas Priest. I remember I did have Turbo. I remember that. Um, and I, I know the Scorpions did one too, like that too. Uh, and which I didn't care for so much when they did a synth guitar type thing, um, but it, I think it worked better for Iron Maiden. So anyway, yeah, I, I was aware of Iron Maiden, and, and I, I had it had them a few of their albums at that time. Yeah, so I knew it was coming out. I was into the band by that time. I got into the band with Live After Death, uh, obviously with '85 being my general mm. um, entry point to most things. So I'd gone back and gotten Power Slave by the time this came out. This was my first new uh, Iron Maiden album. And then over the next few years, I'd go back and get. I mean, it wasn't until '87 that I got Killers, and you know, really got into the Deano era. Um, so I was into it. I was waiting for it, and when it came out, wow. Um, I just remember everyone picking up guitars and trying to figure out the riffs of the first single <laughs> because that, that was just what everyone did. But 86, that was a great year for me for music because you had, what was it, Eat em and Smile came out. You had <laughs> Mechanical Resonance from Tesla, mm -hmm. which to this date, Lonnie says, Appetite for Destruction. I say, I've got Mechanical Resonance, you know, uh, for the year, basically the year before. That was just solid end-to-end -end album. So, yeah, very much aware of it. Mark? <clears throat> Well, for me, I, 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 are we talking about entry point, I guess? Uh, so for me, as far as the first Maiden thing that I ever got, my introduction to Maiden is the same as Julian. It was live after death. What ended up happening is, of course, you know, the, the stories I'm sure people who listen to our podcast are very familiar with. My older sister, Jane, once again, came to, to, to the rescue. And, you know, one, one time I was at home and she said, Mark, I got you something. Boom, she dropped Live After Death in my lap, much to my parents sort of like, hmm, when they saw it, you know. Uh, and uh, I I'll, I'll say this, I opened it, 
I saw the pictures in there and I pulled out that little booklet that came with it. And I was immediately captivated, mainly because I started playing guitar already by that point. I was just, I was like really freshly into guitar at that point. So when I saw all these little tidbits, like the band used a thousand packs of guitar strings, 500 guitar picks, they did like, they did all this kind of like little informational bits in there. And I was like, all like captivated by it. I was like, wow, touring must be amazing. You know, I was so young then, right? But you know, I that album just, captured my imagination when I listened to it and put it on I was like wow this is like it was like a greatest hits album obviously just live right because they played all these fantastic songs on there and of course once I heard them and you know later on I got you know somewhere in time right but at that point I was like you know wondering where can I find these other songs so of course the search for the the back catalog started afterwards but the introduction was live after death and I think uh, that and Alive and Exit Stage Left, those were all entry points to those bands that I love. Exit Stage Left was the entry point for me to Rush. Mm-hmm. Alive was my entry point for Kiss when Jane bought, and Jane bought all those albums for me. So again, Jane, thank you so much because she was my mentor into my musical adventure that I started and continue to this day. So yeah, Live After Death was my entry point. Now, you mentioned your sister nearly every episode, so it's so strange how, you know, most of us have family members who've had an impact on our musical lives that are part of our stories and soundtrack. My sister certainly is as well for many things uh, that we listen to, and I know Lonnie, your brother. Older siblings are the best, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, my sister's <laughs> an 18 months older than me, so. Um, Lonnie, going to you, I mean, what were your initial impressions about the album, or what are the general things that you uh, overall like or dislike? Well, I I love I love that it's a concept album. I like a good concept album, you know, where everything ties together. You know, whether it's whether it's this, whether it's Welcome to My Nightmare, whether it's you know The Elder, whatever. I, I love a good concept album. It's it's fun and it 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 um just makes makes every song just almost one almost. Um, so I love I, and I love the guitar playing and I and I know that's just so cliche when we were talking about Maiden, but it's just the harmonics of the guitar playing. Maiden just has a sound that is so unique, and the vocals are and the, the guitars and the vocals are just so unique that you know when it when it comes on, you just instantly know oh that that's Iron Maiden whether whether you're listening to a CD or whether you turn on the oh I can't say you turn on the radio you have to turn on satellite radio to hear to hear Maiden or something like that. But it, when, when you hear a Maiden sound, you just automatically know. It's almost like ACDC. You just know immediately what it is. And and this album lives up to that because it is, it's it's Maiden really at its finest. Um, so so what I like about it is that it, it, is, it is, it is just stamped Iron Maiden is what I love about it. What I don't like about it, I that's gonna be tough. Um, tough for me to say and I think it's gonna be tough for the rest of us to say what I don't like about this album um because it is so good from start to finish yeah that, that's going to be the tough thing to be objectively or constructively critical about an album that well I I love I'm not going to probably be able to go there Ken you know what are your overall and you know impressions of the album your general likes and dislikes um I really like it. I mean, I think it's a great <laughs> album. I, as far as the, I mean, for the, you know, there's a couple uh, that I thought are just, eh, you know, songs. But uh, 
for the most part, I enjoyed it a lot. A lot. Um, the I would have loved to have had they not gone with the synth guitar thing. I think it would have been a little bit less, you know, or a little bit create a little bit of heavierness, you know, to it. Um, you know, a little bit more raw. Um, I thought that you know the drums were a little. I don't know the sound of drums stuck out to me a little bit. Um, that I think they could have been a little bit better, like that maybe the prior album. But uh, otherwise, you know, it, is, it was really good. As for concept, um, yeah, it's loose. I would call it a, a loose concept album. Um, there's a couple of songs in there is like that doesn't doesn't sound like it fits, you know, with the you know the rest. Um, but but I could I could see tying a whole bunch of them in, yeah. Um, so it it's it's uh, it was very enjoyable i mean actually surprisingly enjoyable um um in certain aspects that i hadn't you know heard before because i hadn't heard the whole album through um ever i don't think because i couldn't remember a few of the songs definitely huh well, that's interesting okay i guess mark to you you know your impressions and the things that you like because clearly i'm not going to ask you to say anything that you dislike um well, the, the impressions of it was I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I know that the guitar synth was always a sort of uh, touchy subject amongst guitar players and, and amongst heavy metal people in general. You know, I, I refer back to you to the people that my sister used to hang around with, you know, the jean jacket guys and the cutoff jacket, you know, those guys that were kind of like, eh, you know, it's not this or that. But they, it was never, that album I found was never as, you know, downplayed as much as some of these other records like you know when the kiss thing happened that was really talked about when this happened they were kind of like eh, you know they, a couple of things were pointed out but not so badly like people really loved wasted years i found people really thought stranger in a strange land was very cool um i, I loved the album overall and like you guys i have a very hard time trying to pick out something that i dislike about it because to me this album has always been my headphone album. I love listening to this album on headphones late at night. And it takes me back to, you know, younger days. But the main thing is that it has this kind of vibe to it. The the, the sort of production that they put into it. It reminds me very much of sci-fi stuff for some reason. M must mm. have been mainly because of the, the synth guitars. that gives it a kind of futuristic element to it. Uh, because, you know, they didn't try to go for the synth guitars the same way as you know, Priest did. Priest kind of had that whole kind of thing going on, like with Turbo Lover and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, they just kind of made it like sound like an extremely chorused guitar, more or less, you know. And, you know, they also used regular keyboards as well, which became the norm for them after Seventh Son of a Seventh Son anyways. Uh, but it's such a well thought out record. I never approached this as a concept record. It's interesting that in notes that I saw later on, they said that there is sort of a loose, you know, concept with space and time in it, right? But which I could see. But you know, I think they kind of went more for the concept in Seven Sun than on this album. But this album it has so much to offer. I think not only musically but visually with that artwork. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to the album cover, so I'll leave it for that. But th this album is one of these things where you can sit there listen to it for hours and look at the album cover and discover things that you probably didn't, didn't know like the first couple times you looked at it. I mean, it, there's just so much to offer musically. And I think that if I was to point out anything that kind of, you know, could have been better, I guess you could say, 
is maybe the the overall drum sound a bit was a teeny bit muddy but you know you're in campus point in bahamas you know campus point while they did a lot of bands there it, it ain't wait, electric wait, wait, ladyland what, did you say campus point yeah isn't it compass point oh yeah yeah sorry compass point you're right sorry <laughs> yeah yeah sorry yeah that's what sorry, i meant anyway. Com compass point sorry so uh but you know it's not exactly you know air studios or electric lady but a lot of play a lot of bands go there and for obvious reasons the the scenery there and their environment to record a record is just absolutely fantastic obviously they moved over to Whistler later to do some of the other stuff and i believe that they mixed it at electric lady if i'm not mistaken so uh yeah, yeah so you know yeah maybe some of the tracks could have had better recording techniques and stuff but you know what I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. I think it sounds overall very cool for what they were trying to go for with that kind of almost Blade Runner-ish approach visually in your mind when you listen to some of this stuff. Like Seven Son of a Seven Son, for example, that song, uh, sorry, uh, Somewhere in Time, that song just gives me that whole vibe of that future city and stuff like that. So I think it's really, really well done. Yeah, one of the interesting things I find as a contrast is the difference between the guitar synth on this album versus Judas Priest Turbo. Now, I don't remember anyone in, in my kind of circle back in 85, 86 bitching about Judas Priest and the sound. Everyone loved, who I knew, loved Turbo and those videos that were in heavy rotation on MTV just as much as when Wasted, uh, Wasted Years came out for this one. I think we were a little bit more set up for Iron Maiden to kind of up the synth because of Power Slave had kind of had elements that were a little bit more textured or orchestral, you know, in, in the storytelling, you know, um, that made it a little bit more acceptable than going from Defenders of the Faith to Turbo is one hell of a, a leap versus going from Power Slave to Somewhere in Time with a live album in between. So that made it a little bit more palatable or at least it seemed to fit the material a lot more and if you see adrian mm -hmm. smith's contributions on this album for me um his propensity for pop perfection um he can really write a catchy song and it really shows here which is probably why wasted youth was the perfect first first vehicle from it let's get into some of our favorites and do remind me about the artwork because i did not put that on my notes and i have my own propensity to forget stuff when we're doing these shows. So, Ken, let's start with you on your favorites. I, I've asked you for three favorites, and whether... Um, there's only eight songs. And there's Yeah, there's only eight songs, <laughs> and whether it was a, a, a difficult task. Uh, not too difficult uh, of a task. Uh, I mean, there are... Most of the songs, like I said, they're, they're, they're great. There's only a couple that... You know, or so-so for me, but uh, obviously caught uh, somewhere in time. You know, great song, love that song. Um, very melodic. Um, I can really hear all the, what's going on in the song with the bass and 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 so on. Um, so that that's a real good one, catchy one. Uh, the other another one I like is uh, a lot is Heaven Can Wait. I really like that one. Um, kind of a frantic type verses that they have and then it goes into a uh a, a good chorus um you know 
And then I, I really love on that song, um, Heaven Give Me, is the Take My Hand bridge part of the song. And then they go into the, you know, the whoa, whoa, whoa kind of thing, uh, which is very cool. Um, so that's a really cool, cool song. Um, and then uh, for a third one, I would say, and, uh, you know, I can pick a lot of them, I guess. Um, I'm just going to say Alexander the Great. <laughs> um, uh, it's a, a kind of, you know, epic type song. Uh, I like how it builds and then it kicks in and then... Uh, it's always for for Iron Maiden. I was thinking about it. They're always giving us a history lesson on a lot of their songs uh, on each album. Something to do, you know, whether it's uh, Aces High or you know a lot of these different songs. Um, they're giving us lessons of of history uh, and things that went happened in the past. Um, but uh, I think I like on, on that song definitely the. It's a really long, obviously, um, but that's about the five minute mark. I know this gets into a into instrumental kind of part and a very cool guitar uh, stuff going on, um, and then back to the chorus. And so, yeah, those those are the three songs that I think I like the best, at least for now. So now we know is an Iron Maiden song. Eight minutes thirty-five is not a very long Iron Maiden song. We're talking <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah, nine, nineteen longer. minutes or so. That's a long Iron Maiden That's song. That's a long. Yeah, uh, Lonnie, what about your three favorites and why? Um, I'm with Ken. I like Caught Somewhere in Time. It's hard not to pick that as 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 a favorite off the album, just because it is so good and the way the I love the way just that it, it's a perfect um, starting song for the album, just the way the guitars um, start off and then it just builds and that bass just just kicks in and just really gets the song moving. I, I, it, it's, it's fantastic. And then, and, then it's, it's, and then obviously it's melodic and, and very catchy at the same time. Um, and my second one, it's going to be no surprise, is the loneliness of the long distance runner. Um, for for obvious reasons, I love that song. Um, do you run you with know, it? I do. And, and this is and, and just this album by itself is great to run to because it is so heavy, and I love running to stuff that is extre- extremely heavy. Is what I run to, just stuff that's just going to kick me in the ass the whole time, just to keep mm-hmm. me going. And so, so like Maiden and Metallica and, and Megadeth and like Rob Zombie and stuff like that are just are in high rotation on like a running playlist that I have or, or, you know, if, if I'm going to run like, you know, six miles or something like that, this album's like perfect for, for that. So I can just, I can just listen to this album from, from like start to finish or something like that. Um, but no, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner is, um, is very near and dear to my heart. So I, I have to, I have to choose that one um, because I, it, it's it's perfect and you're out on a Saturday morning by yourself and there's, you can see no one around you and you just have no choice but to keep going. It's it's perfect. And then um and then I'm just gonna be generic and it's gonna be you're gonna say it's a cop out, but I'm gonna go wasted years just because it is so good and it's such a maiden classic that I have a hard time not putting it in my top three songs on the album because it is so such an iconic maiden song. All right, Mark. Yeah, picking three of this is like <laughs> very, very difficult for me. Um, like I said before, this album to me is a perfect playthrough 
I've never once in the history of having this record ever skipped anything from this album. But if I had to pick three songs, and before I say this, sorry, I say that I had to preface this by saying that Adrian Smith needs to be given the tip of the hat. Some of the best writing that he's done, period, in this band occurs on this album easily, easily. And and, and, to, and to think that he's the sole writer on three of these songs is just mind blowing. I mean, considering the fact that Steve Harris is such a control freak in the sense of that he wants, you know, to control how the songs are. He doesn't want things to get out of hand. I mean, he, he, he is quoted as saying that he thought Bruce Dickinson had lost the plot during the writing of this album because he was coming in with so many acoustic parts and songs that he's like, no, that's not happening, dude. But to let Adrian come in with songs that are like this, he'd be stupid not to use them as is. So one of them obviously is Wasted Years. I think that it was a fantastic single, great song. It was a song that made me and my bandmates at that early, early age sit down and stupidly, well, not stupidly, I think it really helped us, attempt to cover this song when we were very much amateurs at our instruments but we got pretty far learning it but it, it helped a lot it's a great song and it taught us a lot about song structure and all kinds of other things as well um the next song i'm gonna pick is sea of madness that song has always been a, a standout to me i've always loved that whole chorus part in the song uh, I, I think it's really well done the lyrics are really good I think Bruce Dickinson sings it really, really well. Um, so that, that's really high on my list as well. Then the third song for me is just like Lonnie, the long distance, yes. loneliness of the long distance runner is really, really standout in my opinion. I mean, that song is so well written. You know, Steve Harris has always written fantastic songs that are five minutes and longer. I mean, I think that's that's his sweet spot, I think. Anything that's longer than about six minutes he's in his element you know as far as writing songs go so though i mean i could have picked anything on this record but those are the three songs that really stand out to me as songs that you know if i wanted to listen to maiden right now and somebody said you can only pick three i would definitely pick those three hmm that's an interesting bunch of selections obviously wasted years for me again first first video from it it was the one that caught your ear um somewhere in time i i think um, simply for the same reason that Lonnie said. It opens the album, and it sets the tone for the rest of it. And, you know, you put this thing on repeat. 51 minutes is, for me, perfect length for a walk. You know, and I like to listen to a full album when I'm out on a walk. And, you know, that that's like the perfect, you know, time, you know, and coming around the block and the album's over. So um, Caught Somewhere in Time really does kick it off well. And then I think... I could have gone with Sea of Madness as well, but there's one with some almost blast drumming on it that I think just takes the tempo way up, is way different, is a little bit discordant compared with the rest of the songs on the album. I think it sticks out, Deja Vu. So mm -hmm. that that one, because it is so different. Some of them are a little bit, you know, mid-tempo-ish. So it's it's nice to get one that really kind of ups uh, the octane slightly, um, but Adrian Smith on this album, uh, you know, it's not just wasted years. Writing something like Sea of Madness, also Stranger in a Strange Land, you know, it, yes. it really is outstanding. The songwriting, and I think what you said about Steve Harris and the writing of Loneliness, um, 
really is, is true. All right, let's try and do least favorites. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to, on an eight song album, I'm not going to say three, you know, just one or two, um, Lonnie. Um, it's tough. But I'll, I'll say, I'll say Alexander the Great if I had to pick one. Um, and it just, and, and it's tough to do, but I'll, I'll say because it just doesn't stand out to me as much as the rest of them do. I can't, I can't give it as many stars as I do the rest of the album. Even though, even though I like the song, um, when, when the other songs on it are so great, um, sometimes it's hard to, to live up to it, even though it's, you know, it's, it's a long song. It's, it's it's very guitar driven. It's very maiden esque. I I don't I don't get into it as much as I do the others. So if I had if I had to pick one, I'd say Alexander the Great. If I had to pick two, that's tough. <laughs> it sounds like you're de- it sounds like you're declining two, which is perfectly I think I'm fine. I'm gonna go with one. I'm yeah. Gonna go with one. I'm gonna cop out and say one. All right, Mark. Okay. Can you pick one that you think doesn't quite measure up to the rest? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I can say similar. Okay, there's two, and I'll explain this. Um, Alexander the Great for the longest time was the one that I liked the least. Now, in saying that, I still love this album beginning to end, and I've never skipped it. But if I was to look at it from the approach of like, okay, uh, Number of the Beast ends with Hallowed Be Thy Name, you know. Uh, Peace of Mind ends with To Tame a Land, you know. A Power Slave ends with Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, right? And this ends with Alexander the Great. You know, it's as an ending song, it's not in the same wheelhouse, I don't think, as some of those other ones that I mentioned. But you know, that's really just making an excuse for why I would put it last, really, because I really do like the song. With that said, a few years back, if we would have did this episode, let's say like eight years ago, okay, I would have definitely have picked Heaven Can Wait because there was a time where I had just overheard this song so much. I mean, on the lo- and on the live albums that they did, like real uh, live one or real dead one, and even some of these other bootlegs that I got, they never performed this song really good live, I found. Their tempos were really abrupt on it. Bruce was all over the place vocally, and whenever they got that, you know, crowd of roadies and stuff like that to do the oh, oh, and that, I don't know, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way for some reason when they did that part with all those people that were like half out of tune when they were singing it. But I love the song on the studio, like uh, this way, I, I love this song. But because I had overheard it so much in a live capacity and these bootlegs and stuff like that that my friends would collect, because my friends were hot into Maiden as well, all my bandmates were and stuff. So if you jump into a car, you know, there was a good chance that going to rehearsal, you'd have somebody play, you know, hey, check out, I got this bootleg from, you know, from uh, Buenos Aires with Iron Maiden. And of course, they'd have Iron, they'd have uh, Heaven Can Wait on it. And I'd hear that song so many times, it's just, it would just, you know, get on my under my skin of, uh, after a while. But that's then. Now I wouldn't say that. I think I would just stick with Alexander the Great. Okay, Ken. <laughs> yeah, n- well, not to get back at anybody here, um, <laughs> but <laughs> just we both said Alexander the Great when it was no, no, one no, of your no, favorites. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's all right. 
Um, but uh, the the, the loneliness, loneliness of the long distance runner, yeah. I just didn't think it fit in here. Um, that's the only reason. I think it's an okay song, um, but it's probably one of my least favorites on the album. Uh, the other one would be uh, Deja Vu. Uh, the one thing, though, I, I mean, I like I like it. It's, it has a cool riff and everything. And I wrote down that it's, this sounds more like a Judas Priest song, that song, to me. I could see Judas Priest doing that song, um, which is interesting. Um, but, yeah, th- I mean, the Alexander the Great, yeah, that doesn't really necessarily fit in with the uh, theme of the album. Though I like it, it doesn't really fit in. Um, but I thought, you know, Mark would like it with the, you know, it's got syncopation going on in the middle of the song and some other uh, real cool stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, being a progressive guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, th- that would be it. Just those couple of songs. And, and I'm not saying they're bad. I said it's just my least favorite on it. Yeah, so I think it's nearly unanimous because I'm going to say Alexander the Not-So-Great. Because uh, <laughs> it, it really is a matter for me that you get a song ending an album like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner on the previous album and it just works and that's what like 13 minutes long Um, this is eight and a half and it just seems to go on and on and on and Alexander wasn't really that great that long I mean (laughs) he wasn't that great it's it's a very long song for someone who died so young so Mm -hmm. it again it just it it lags and it's great, you know. I mean, what I do love about Iron Maiden and Steve Harris in particular is that he digs into historic topics to write about, and that's always um, neat. But it just doesn't work any more than, say, Empire of the Clouds off Book of Souls is something that I want to listen yeah. to too often, um, which, you know, some of these songs just don't need to be there. So let's talk about the cover art. You know, how how important is that? Because to me, the art almost seems more important than the album itself, just by how everyone um, seems to spend an awful lot of time fixated on it. I think Eddie on this is one of the best representations, but also very much dated in the Terminator type. It, what was Terminator came out in 84, I think. Um, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and you yeah. had Runaway with the you know the robotic spiders. You right. had all, you'd also had Blade Runner by that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really riffing off a lot of very popular themes, and that's probably why I like it so much. Plus, with all the elements that do harken back to other aspects of Iron Maiden. Mark, you were the one who kind of brought up the art, so uh, go. Well, I mean, like I said, the, the front cover of it is just so fantastic. I mean, the first time I saw it, it was like. You know, it just caught me immediately. But more importantly, I refer to you to the back cover of it, okay? Because if you look there, and if you're a diehard Maiden person, yeah, that's the problem with the 98 CD, is that they have that in there. But if you look at the back here, there are so many indications of Iron Maiden history through here. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like the clock, two minutes to midnight, right? If you look at the clock time. If you look at this, there's like there's references to all kinds of stuff here. You have like the Ruskin Arms bar, which is the bar that they played at when they were a very young band. That was the name of the bar that they played at. You know, if you look at the 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 soccer scores that are above, you know, the clock there, 
you have West Ham, Arsenal. Those are Socrates, very important to the Iron Maiden people. All right. Uh, you also have on there, like the Aces High Bar on there. You have the Long Beach Arena, which is something that was very big as far as the, you know, uh, Live After Death album is concerned. Right. I mean, if you take a look at the artwork on here, there are so many things in here that, that just tip off, uh, you know, Iron Maiden history. Live After Death is right there on the, on the movie theater thing, right over the Blade Runner one, right? And and I'll say this now, and you're not going to believe this, but I swear on my mother that this is true. I only now, only now today, when I just was talking with you guys and we were doing this, I discovered one thing that I've never noticed about the back cover. I never saw that Doctor Who TARDIS on top of the building there. I was like, that's a Doctor Who TARDIS. What the hell? I never noticed that at all on top of that building that was on there. So again, another British uh, tip of the hat there. And I know that those guys are into that stuff as well. So, I mean, that's what I mean by saying that you can look at this album cover and you could find so many things on here that, you know, refer back to Iron Maiden and their past on there. I mean, the pyramid in the background is it's like staring you right in the face. That's from Power Slave, right? So, I mean, how how cool is that? Go ahead, Ken. Sorry. No, no, I was saying, yeah, it's, it's a lot of cool stuff on here. I was trying to read up on it. Um, I mean, it has a spitfire flying over the Aces High bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has, the, the one thing that really caught my eye that they may mention is that Batman is on here, standing <laughs> on a ledge on the right side. Um, yeah. If you see his, his cape's kind of flapping out a little bit, um, I'm like, oh, someone's a Batman fan. You know, I, so I that's think, cool. though, I think that's not Batman. I think that's the Phantom of the Opera. You sure? It looks like Batman yeah. to me. I, I, from what I've He's read, uh, heart. I went back and read. I think they said it was Batman. But anyway, okay, it could be. Yeah, I could yeah. be wrong, but Peace I just thinking back to their uh, songs. Right? It could be. You're right. Um, uh, Bruce Dickinson has these like you know brains, you know, like mm-hmm. for peace of mind, um, in his hand, in his hands there. Um, so yeah, there's there's so much. It's just probably never-ending things yeah. and hints and. There's the Phantom Opera House on the one bridge there. So what yeah. I do, what I do recommend, rather than us stumbling through it, is there is <laughs> yeah. on the Wikipedia page for it. There is a list of all the things, um, and I remember us looking for posters of it back in the day because we wanted to inspect and you know you'd be you'd be able to see all those things and you'd spend you know get the magnifying glass out um to to try and identify all these things they are listed on wikipedia but you know lonnie anything to say about the cover no i mean i think it's it you know maiden is just known for having great covers they're all all their covers are are, are fantastic and I, and i and i think this one is is really appropriate for for the album itself um like you guys said, like like Julian said, very Terminator esque on the front, um, with what was popular at the time in eighty in eighty six. So, um, you know, I I think it's great, and, and you know, it's like it's a throwback. It's and it's not a throwback. It's nineteen eighty six. But I mean, you don't hear people talk about just laying in your room listening to the records and staring at the album cover the whole time. And this is exactly this album is a perfect example of that, of, of just you know looking at the album, just staring at the album the whole time, whether it's you know Kiss Alive or something, and just flipping through that booklet and, and just imagining watching the band. And Iron Iron Maiden is the perfect 
it's the perfect band, not only for this album, but just in general of, of staring at your album covers the whole time. And I, I think that's the only point I want to make about the album cover is exactly what Lonnie's alluded to. Staring at a CD is not the same as holding that freaking vinyl in your hand and actually being able to appreciate the print quality of the packaging and all the details inherently that are lost in the digital age for people who've got a tiny thumbnail now on their phone what they're missing out on if they're not aware of it you know is all those details of you know when you'd open it up does it have a printed did the original have a printed inner dust leaf because i was pure cassettes back in the day so i I never got to see Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the other side, yeah, and then the other side had lyrics, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know that was the downside to me only having you know really a cassette deck because my parents' 1976 turntable was really only good for playing 78s. Um, <laughs> you know, not not so good on on the LPs. But something else, Lonnie said that Iron Maiden always was known for having really good covers leads nicely into some of the b-sides that were used on the singles uh on the flip side of wasted you had reach out which was a, a cover the god awful this is not a good well it's not even a cover the sheriff of Uddersfield, which has got to be one of the worst just pieces of garbage i've heard associated with iron maiden should have been uh, a seaside it should have been uh, on the floor of the cutting room i mean i get no what they're trying get what they're trying to do with old rod but uh no don't like it and then uh on stranger in a strange land you had that girl and juanita juanita for me is probably the best cover but i do like reach out because adrian again gets to sing any thoughts on those covers well i'll just say this that and i i was a big collector of the 12 inch singles back in the day i got like aces high and the two minutes to midnight one and they'd have like these b-sides on there and then the main reason to buy these 12 inch i might say is because you had listening with nico part one part two and each single he had a listening with nico thing in there and they were just hilarious i mean you couldn't hardly understand the guys like hello like you could never understand what the guy is saying half the time on those things but they were fantastic there's so many great stories talked about recording in the studio and so that i highly recommend if you can find those 12 inch album singles buy them they're really excellent but what i'm trying to get out with the singles is that i found that their singles were decent in the early days like when they did like their first couple of records they had some pretty cool ones you know cross-eyed mary uh they had a, a couple of other ones i got the fire and stuff like that they had some you know decent covers that they did back in the day women they in did, uniform like, you know, yes and they even did like they even did like a budgie song and they did some cool stuff back in the day but as it got later and later and later in their career, their B-sides, I thought, started lacking a bit. They were getting a bit weaker. I mean, this is one of the ones that I just didn't really connect with the B-sides at all. I mean, that Sheriff one is just utter bunk. It's just terrible. I don't know why they put that on there. But, you know, and that's not even the worst. I'm, I think there's another one later on in their career that they put that's even worse than that. Next but, album. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just not good. I mean, I understand why they do it, because they are a band that likes to put out singles and likes to put out these sort of, you know, extra material for their fans. Because I'm telling you, like I said, those 12 side sing, those 12 inch singles, they're, they are worth getting. But get the earlier ones. They're, they're a lot better if you're looking for B-sides. Ken or Lonnie, any thoughts on those B-sides? Um, 
not a whole lot. They don't stand out a whole lot. Not much to me. They don't. They don't do a whole lot for me. I may have listened to them once or twice. To be and, completely honest with you. And that was more than enough. Ken. Correct. Yeah, I don't think I've. I don't remember listening to them, so I, I couldn't tell you. And I guess <laughs> I probably won't listen to them based on what <laughs> I. Not, they're not selling up very you know, Mark, very good job, Mark. Now you just put them off the sheriff of Odersfield. So, Damn. Uh, all right. So last question, production, Martin Birch, you know, is it a well-produced album to your ears? Is it sonically pleasing and does it hold up well to uh, the test of time? Because, you know, we're 35 years since it was recorded and released. Ken. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed listening to it. I thought it was, you know, again, I said uh, I would have rather had, you know, more a little bit raw, more raw guitar uh, sound, but that's that's just a nick picky thing. Um, but I think it I think it stands up because um, it was enjoyable. It didn't sound to me. I listened didn't listen to it and say, oh, this sounds, you know, like 1986. No, no, that that's something more like, you know. Uh, crazy nights or something that, you know that sounds dated to me um so so yeah this this sounds good I, I i think the production was good for for what they were trying to go for at the time and what other bands were doing at the time too uh it it made sense but it does it doesn't sound dated really so much to me no, and that's exactly the same for me. You know, every time I play it, I'm not like, oh, this is an old album. It's still like, yeah. this is just the album. But then again, I'm obviously very biased towards it, like I said, about how important it is to me. So I wouldn't want it changed sure. in any way. And I think, he, uh, you know, the band knew what they wanted to sound like at that point, or Steve knew what he wanted the band to sound like mm -hmm. at that point. So, um, Lonnie, production-wise... No, I agree. I think it's very intentional for the sound that they were going for. That this is exactly what they wanted, um, and and I and it holds up to this day. It doesn't sound dated like some '80s rock albums do or that came out in '85, '86, '87. Um, you know, it's it's not it's not following tr it's not following trends real heavily of the '80s. I think you know they're Iron Maiden and they're they're proud of who they are and they they like their sound and they're not changing it every album yeah there's you know it's maybe not as heavy as some of their earlier stuff but i, I think it, it has aged well for what it is um it's it's it still stands up it doesn't sound dated or anything like that i i really enjoy it every time i listen to it now let's ask the producer what he thinks <laughs> well i i agree with you guys 100 percent. i mean i think the one thing with this album that they were going for is that they wanted to go for a futuristic sound to match the sort of artwork that Derek Riggs did with this. Um, and they were, they were lucky. I'll, I'll say that they were lucky because sometimes when you add in things that are modern at the time, like I remember when the whole debate about that snare drum, the gated snare drum that, you know, Mr. Phil Collins and them started developing around mm -hmm. the time when you got that sort of verb on your album, then you were thought to be really cool and hip, you know, you were with the sound. Now you listen to it 20, 30 years later, you're like, oh my God, they had that snare sound. So it's easy to fall into that trap where you follow something that's really popular at the time. They went for something to make them sound futuristic, but they didn't make the sound so dated that when people listen back to it, they go, oh God, 
This is definitely, like you said, this is an 80s record. So, good work by Martin Birch. They've, they kept enough of the heavy elements in there. They kept Steve Harris's bass sound in there. Nico's drumming is very prevalent on this album. All his tom rolls and stuff like that, they didn't make him cut back on any of these things. It just sounded a little bit more polished, a little bit more, you know, heavier on the chorus. The guitar synths were in there and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I don't think that I would have changed anything for it. And I think that years and years later now, it sounds just as good to me now as it did the first time I listened to it. I, okay. I, I got it. Well, quickly, I got another question from Mark right there. Um, do you think that this album was uh, their most accessible album of, of their uh, career? Accessible? Well, I mean, look, I mean, Iron Maiden and accessible are something that most people wouldn't really say right. they are. Right. But I, I would say that if there was a time period where they were embraced the most by MTV and much music, it was probably this time. I mean, Wasted Years is on all the time. And Stranger in a Strange Land was a video that was played quite a lot. I mean, the, the album that followed it, you know, Can I Play With Madness was played nowhere near as much as, you know, Wasted Years and Stranger in a Strange Land. So I, I think that you might be onto something, that this might be their most accessible point as far Oof. as... North America. Uh, you know, yeah, and I mean, if you go on later on, like in South America, I would say albums like Fear of the Dark and stuff like that were huge there, like gigantic mm. during that time period. So maybe they were accessible in South America at that point, but definitely in terms of like TV and video, this is probably their most, yeah. Yeah, their closest getting to kind of trying to approach the mainstream a little bit, try, you know, yeah, without I mean, actually going all the way there. And their sales and their sales represent that. I mean, they went gold in Brazil, they went platinum in Canada, gold in Germany, gold in the UK, platinum in the United States. They, they sold well, you know. All right, so we may have touched on it for everyone, but favorite Iron Maiden album out of the whole catalog, which is your favorite? I've already obviously said this is mine. Ken? Well, mine has always been, well, since I got Power Slave. It's Power Slave. That, that's, that's kind of been my my favorite one. Alani? It's this one. It's somewhere in time. Mark? This one. Nice. Okay. All right, so let's move into the next episode. Because the votes are in. We had asked listeners and viewers in various places to pick from four albums, which were Marillion, Clutching at Straws, L.A. Guns, uh, Skid Row, Alice Cooper, Killer, um, for our next episode. So we wanted to do another viewer's pick. And which one do you think didn't win, Lonnie? Which one didn't win? <laughs> Mine, Skid Row. <laughs> I was actually disappointed that it didn't win because I was looking forward to being forced to actually give that one the time of day because I didn't like it that much back in the day other than a couple of songs. So I wanted to, no, I wanted to be forced to, you know, listen to it a lot over a couple of weeks. Uh, so we might just do that anyway down the road, I think, um, because then I get to talk about Slave to the Grind, which I like more. Um, the winner, of course, was Alice Cooper, Killer, which... Um, <laughs> too, though. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah that that will be really fun so, you got something against Alice. i'm not 
into Alice. I like Billion Dollar Babies. My first Alice Cooper album was Raise Your Fist and Yell. That should say mm-hmm. it all. Um, I like more that Zodiac Mind Warp wrote a song for Alice Cooper. You know, Feed My Frankenstein. That yeah. So, so yeah. Alice, I like Alice when we get to the end of the century. And yeah. those like two... Like hard rock Alice. No, yeah. heavy, heavy metal Alice. Yeah, like Dragon Town. Brutal, right. Dragon Town and Brutal, Brutal Planet. Those yeah. are fantastic. I love those. Yeah. Um, right. But going back to the 70s, some of it, I I listen to all of them. I've just finished Flush the Fashion. Um, oh, that's oh, Flush right. the Fashion is a little rough. That's, that's, that's a new a- Alice Cooper that goes to hell. Zipper catches skin. That's a little rough too. Yeah. So you know, I worked my way through the catalog. You know, like I did last year with Bruce Springsteen's catalog because I'd bashed him for years. I I sat down and now I find myself oh new Bruce Springsteen. I go listen. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to give Alice the time of day. So I'm I am happy in in that sense that it uh it will be our next look at rock and roll. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah I will. That's what the doctor said before my colonoscopy. Yeah. You'll enjoy. All right. There we go. So that's our episode caught or somewhere in time. Iron Maiden. Mark, thank you for that selection. And thank you to everyone who um, voted on our picks. We will uh, throw some more options up there in due course. And uh, if anyone's wondering what's happened to the Wasp episodes, they're coming back. We just took a little break before needed a break before doing Neon God Part 2. I'm sure you'll understand if you've listened. All right, that's it from the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast from Lonnie, from Mark, from Ken and myself. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. Facebook.